If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We heard a a lot about love this morning, right? Um, It was something that our Lord spoke a lot about when he was with his disciples in private. That's chiefly one of the things we get from the Gospel of John as compared to the other Gospels. All four of the Gospels record uh, many of the public acts and miracles and public teaching of Jesus. Uh, But John's Gospel especially records the things that Jesus said when he was with the disciples kind of in private, speaking from his heart and teaching them. And he taught them a lot about his great love for them uh, and the great love of God. And it becomes St. John's life theme, right? When you read the letters of St. John, because it's the same John, right, who wrote the gospel as who wrote the letter that we heard read, uh, it's St. John's great theme. He just can't get over God loves us and we're supposed to love God and love one another. He can't go more than like four or five verses in his first letter without saying, love one another, love one another. It was uh, his magnificent obsession. So I want to just try and connect simply a few of these dots, as it were, of what biblical love means as we heard it in the scriptures this morning. What it is and what it does, both to God and to each other as brothers and sisters. So in the first place, um, we are commanded, actually, as well as invited, to love God. And, uh, you know, there's sort of, I'm aware of kind of a, a handful of layers of public sort of teaching and talking about the concept of loving God. There's generally this sort of shallow cultural concept of love as just a feeling. And I've heard many preachers say, oh no, it's it's not just a feeling, it's actions. And that's exactly right. But I think we've sometimes painted it a little bit too strongly in distinction when it's both. Love is both feelings and actions. It is absolutely more than a feeling, um, to quote that song from the 80s. (laughs) Um, But it's not less than a feeling, right? It is actually a part of the normal mature Christian life to feel a love for God. And it's similar, right, in its sort of timbre as the love that we would experience among fellow human beings, the sort of warmth and tenderness and delight. Like whatever the best of human love is, um, there should, over time, that should grow in our hearts towards God, that when we hear about him, when we think about him, when we pray to him, that our hearts should begin to actually be sort of softer and, as it were, more lovey, (laughs) towards God. And that's actually right. That's a natural fruit of the Spirit's transforming presence in our lives. And these feelings, um, we actually can use them sort of as a diagnostic test too. Like if we have no feeling of love for God in our heart, it's not, you know, there's a handful of reasons for that, but one of the reasons might be if our actions are not living out that we really do love God, our actions and our feelings are really connected. And this is true like in the human sphere, right? If I have a buddy, and I say, oh, I really love my buddy, but behind his back, I'm betraying him and gossiping about him. Is my heart going to be just like full of that like manly, friendly love towards him if with my actions I'm betraying that friendship? No, right? It, it wouldn't. It would, the bad actions actually sort of harden and, and cool the heart. And it's the same thing with God. One of the reasons we may have no sort of warm, lovey feelings towards God is if with our actions we are not 
loving him. If with our actions we are betraying the love that we might say with our lips that we have. Um, so with our actions, they can all be summed up simply before God as obedience. Right? We must obey God. And this is something which continues to impress itself on my mind year after year. I think in our flesh we're so inclined to receive the teachings of God as just sort of like suggestions that you should get to when you can. You know, when you've got the time, you know, when you've got the energy. I, know, I, I take that as a laugh of recognition, recognizing the same. Um, but it's not, that's not the case. Obedience is something which it is his right to demand and it's my duty to just follow. And we have this sort of instinctively in human spheres, right? Like when there's laws of the land and we want to be good citizens, we just obey those laws. We just pay our taxes. We just do whatever we have to do. Same thing with God. We must obey him, which has sort of two sides to it, right? In the negative, it means don't do the things he said don't do. <laughs> Amazing how complicated we make Christian life. It's so simple in a way. And on the positive, do do the things that he tells us to do. And so I want to just touch on both of those. When we speak about the negative prohibitions of the scripture, the things, you know, so many of the Ten Commandments are don't do this. Um, for most of us, most of the time, most of the prohibitions are fairly easy to keep, right? Like, I have never been tempted to murder anybody. So it is not to, like, my, moral, my great moral virtue that I happen to have never murdered anybody. <laughs> um, that has just sort of been kept as a matter of course, according to the circumstances of life that I've been put in. On the other side of that, the question of do you obey God often hinges on just one particular commandment, the one which, when you hear it, sort of in conscience or in the scriptures, you're most inclined to say, okay, I don't know about that one, right? The one that we think we try and come up with an excuse, we say, well, you know, I follow all of God's other commandments, so maybe on this one I can get a buy. The thing we try and um, get ourselves off the hook for, what I want to offer to you is, that is the only and only real test of obedience to God. Right? It's not a test to not murder, because I'm not being tested in that. That one thing which God has said, don't do that, that pricks on my conscience, that is the test. That is the thing. Will I obey God, or will I obey, follow just my own selfish will? So I encourage you, when you think about obedience, to not sort of zoom out too far from your own life and sort of look like, well, I'm keeping all these, but this one I don't know. But really just think about what is the one that the Holy Spirit, through the voice of conscience, is impressing on you. That is God's test of obedience as to whether you will obey him, which we know, as Jesus said, as we heard in the Gospel of John, is the sign that we love him. If we love him, we'll obey him in that one thing which he is presenting to us as a challenge to our obedience. To obey God, we need to not do the things he says clearly don't do. For each of us, according to our different circumstances in life, that, that will be a different kind of struggle, a and in different seasons of life, different things, but that is our test. Positively, we are to do the things that he tells us to do, which we hear every Sunday in the summary of the law, right, is love one another. Love one another. That's our command from God. And again, it's a command. It's not, well, when you've had a great week and things are going well, you know, then just be really loving to everybody. <laughs> it's a command. It's, no, no, love one another. Do this. With both feelings and actions. And just like with God, so often our actions that we choose with our will is what makes space for the feelings. And if we are not loving others with actions, surprise, surprise, we won't probably be harboring very warm feelings towards them either.
And um, one of the things that strikes me as really remarkable in this passage we heard from 1 John chapter 3, um, actually, I encourage you to turn to it in your bulletins to see it with me. 1 John chapter 3, um, so well read uh, by our brother Joe. John's been speaking, right, in these sort of lofty terms about like, you know you love God if you love each other, and if you don't love, you're living in death. I mean, it's like this big kind of black and white, strong, high language about love. And he brings it all down to like one very concrete application in verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I want to read that again. If anyone has the world's goods, all of us, right, (laughs) in America, here, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? When you read the Gospel of John or the letters of John, you know that this is the strongest language John could use. When John says, how does God's love abide in him? That's John's way of saying, how could you even think you're a Christian? That's what he's saying there. This is really heavy stuff. And what he's saying is that the chief way that, he, that John gives to sort of concretely show love is materially, in helping each other out with money and stuff. That is what he says love looks like. Now, love does also look like other things, right? I mean, there's that fantastic book which has helped many marriages and friendships. The five love languages, right? I mean, there's words of affirmation and quality time and, oh boy, gifts uh, um, and others, <laughs> which I cannot now remember. Um, I need to study that book more. Sorry, Carrie. Um, <laughs> um, but well, the big one that the... the that St. John singles out for us this morning is materially helping each other. Um, I think actually, in our day, we've been really sneaky, right? This verse says, if you see your brother in need and don't help. We've actually been really sneaky in our day in that consciously or unconsciously, we've kind of structured our lives, myself included, to avoid seeing particular needs, right? I know what streets to not drive down or walk down or what stores to not go to if I don't want to run into visible manifestations of the needs of other people in my city. But the fact that I haven't seen them then because of my choices or the subdivision I live in or whatever, that doesn't get me off the hook of John's commandment. It actually like doubles the reprimand, right? I'm actually hiding from even seeing the needs of my brother. That's worse. And we shouldn't get in any sort of like legal argument about what does it mean, who is my brother, right? We've already seen that played out in the Gospels when the man came to Jesus trying to justify himself and said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, the point of which is anybody you come in contact with who has a need is your neighbor. And St. John would answer the same as our Lord Jesus. Who is my brother? Anyone who has a need. By the brotherhood of man, by the brotherhood of being God's creation, especially in the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the, brother, the fellowship we have in God's church. We are, if we have the world's goods, um, to, to share them. So what I think this means is, um, I want to paint sort of like a big trajectory. There are a handful of things which God is just constantly growing in us throughout our Christian lives, and that hopefully from the time we begin being a Christian to the time we die, we can see kind of an upward trajectory. One of those things I believe, and it's testified to by all the lives of holy men and women of the past, is as we grow in the Christian life, we would actually come to own less and less stuff and have less and less money. 
I think that's what John is saying pretty plainly in kind of concrete terms. As a simple way, not just sort of for any old reason, but because we have loved other people. That we would have less in our own pockets because we've loved others and given it to others. And this doesn't just mean sort of, I'm not speaking exclusively in sort of acts of philanthropy, sort of like to the, the begging poor. It could be to friends and family and the begging poor. It's to anybody who has a need to, to get it out of your own pockets and share it with others. Paul is very clear to say in 1 Corinthians, if you give away everything, but you don't have love, it's of no value. Right? So I'm not just trying to speak just a strictly kind of materialist message. Let's keep love and the giving away of things connected as St. John, as, the, as Jesus connects them. Um, so it's my hope. And I'm on this trajectory too. I have more things than I should have right now. My hope is that God, through moving love in my heart, would, give, would free me to really love brothers and sisters and give more of that away. And I pray that you are also on that same trajectory, that maybe you have less now than you had 10 years ago because you've been moved to loving generosity and maybe 10 years from now, maybe you'll have even less. It's kind of the exact, it is literally the exact opposite of the health and wealth gospel, right? Um, as we grow in Christ, we actually should have less in our pockets and our bank accounts because we've loved. And I hope, I hope that you see the way that that mirrors the Jesus who is our Lord, right? He gave away all he had, his very flesh, for our sake, because he loved us. And so when we obey God in this way, we're just imitating our master, who still, right, gives us of his very flesh, of his very life, um, in the Holy, Holy Eucharist, because he loves us. Just as he gave us once and for all his flesh, on the cross 2,000 years ago as an act of love because he loves us. So um, I just invite you to consider uh, this week, this month, for the rest of your life, (laughs) what things, what needs are you seeing among brothers, near or far, stranger or, or not stranger, that you could show love to um, by giving away what you have to show the love of God. Amen.